Amen. We're going to continue our series today on spiritual growth, genuine Christianity. And we're, if you would join me, please, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have the large print Bible, such as I have, it's on page uh, 1,294. If you have the small print, I can't help you. You have to find it. So uh, anyway, spiritual growth. We've looked at loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself to be obedient. We talked about the fact that we do sin and that we struggle with sin and Today we're going to look at another issue, which is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. And as we look at 1 Peter this morning, we're going to do a quick background study. His name means Peter, large rock or stone. Some translate it pebble, but I do not. I believe it's rock. When Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the faith of Peter. And this is what the church is based on. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this somewhere in the summer of 64 AD. We know this from some other earlier manuscripts. So it was right in that, uh, right in that time frame. Peter wrote this from Rome. Rome was a godless pagan society at the time that Peter wrote this to his followers. Paganism, it was also very dangerous when Peter wrote this. The church was going through intense persecution. We'll mention that in a minute. The churches were located in Asia Minor. You say, well, pastor, where's Asia Minor? Well, I'm getting ready to show you. Here's Asia Minor, and you can see Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Ephesus, and this is the Asia Minor during the first century when Peter wrote First Peter. We mentioned persecution. I see so many parallels to what Peter's group went through and what we are going through today. There was a progression to the persecution. Um, first of all, it was nonviolent. That began in 64 A.D., name-calling, uh, things like that, social issues going on, but it was, for the most part, nonviolent. Then in 65 to 66, the persecution intensifies against the believers. And from there, Peter then meets his faith, his fate, and that is he was martyred. After that there was government-sanctioned persecution. When I look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. today, it's not like when I was a younger. You could have a dissenting voice without being counted as a criminal. Today, we've reached that point now. We've reached a point where persecution is going to begin again in the church, against the church, not in the church. And so when I look at this and I, I see the progression of how it starts, uh, very indicative of the type of culture which we find ourselves. People's voices are being, at least conservative voices, are being muted on social platforms. 
uh, the church as a whole is being demonized. We are unloving, uh, uncaring, uh, just anything you want because we make stands on issues like abortion, gay marriage, these types of things. And, and this is what got the early church in trouble. They did not like Christians, and it, it, it came from Rome itself. And it ultimately culminates when Nero decides in 70 AD to destroy Rome and blame it on the believers. It was intense. It was purposeful. And I see the same thing unfolding in our culture today. So that makes what I'm talking about this morning very, very important. Extremely important. Probably one of the most important sermons I've preached in several years. Be that as it may. I think this is so important for us, particularly when it talks about the community. We cannot have divisions in the church and problems in the church. Because when we leave here, we go out into a world where there's division and problems and hardships. and It comes back on us. So when we talk about spiritual growth, Peter uh, kind of drills down here. We kind of give you a little overview. In chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father, this is verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. Who by the power of by the who by power by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter wants to know, wants to anchor this in the hearts of the believers. That against this persecution, there is an anchor in your life, and the anchor is found in salvation. It is found in God's power. Nothing that comes against you will ever ultimately defeat you. Because we are saved, we have been born again by the blood of Christ. In this, Peter writes, verse 6, in this you rejoice. Though for now and for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. Don't lose faith. No matter what you're going through today. It'll be all right. God is in control. And then he talks about concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and inquired carefully. The prophets, those who never saw salvation as we did, were really interested in this salvation. How does it play out? In verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for actions in light of the culture in which we live. In light of what's happening in Rome and what's happening in D.C., prepare your minds for action. And then he goes into a lengthy discourse there and comes to the issue of the church. So when I talk about spiritual growth, at least from Peter's perspective, we are talking about unilateral Christian growth. That is, each of us, as part of the body of Christ, are called to grow together. Not only individually, but we are to grow together as a body of Christ. And so we launch in to the sermon this morning. First of all, put off sin daily. This is the hard part of the sermon, 
and then the latter part will be the easier part of the sermon. So strap your seatbelts in, and let's go through this. So put away. So is therefore a conclusion based on something that went before. Everything that we just mentioned that went before. Therefore, it brings, it brings a conclusion to a logical argument. Put away. Apotethemy. Apotethemy. To cease doing what one is accustomed to doing. Whether it is malice, whether it is deceit, whether it is hypocrisy, whether it is slander. Stop it. And it's very difficult. As we unpack this, some of the churches that I have pastored have been guilty of all of these at some point. So, some scholars re refer this putting away, which they're wrong. Some scholars view this as the baptism uh, and mentioning that you, you, you die to yourself and you're raised again, newness of life, taking Peter's writings where he says, take off the old clothes, put on the new clothes. They see this as an act of baptism. So in other words, when, when you read this, so therefore, put away is just the baptism. You're going to die to that. In one sense, that's okay. But the problem is, this word put away, the aorist tense, does not suggest a one-time event. Baptism is a one-time event. But the aorist tense of this word, these words, put away, rather is an ongoing event in the lives of believers. It is a daily thing. So Peter is saying, you've got to stop it today. You have to stop it tomorrow. You have to stop it the next day. This cannot be mentioned among the children of God. You need to stop and put it away. Now, you say, well, uh, Pastor, how does this refer to the church? It is individual growth. But overall, it is a community issue. Think of it this way. If you're out in the community and you're slandering the church, how in the world are people going to come to the church? If you don't even like the people that you worship with, how can we expect others to be drawn to the church or be drawn to the gospel for that matter? First uh, Peter, this is... 1 Peter 2, this is just before the verses we're looking at. Having purified your soul by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter now shifts, puts chapter 2 in line with the community. And since you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. I love that the first you guys, most of you weren't here because we play videos before. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. I love that. I love that song. It's so, because this is the ancient words that we have. And they are true and they are abiding. We have the word of God. What about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, right after ours. As you come to him as living stones rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, that's us here, you yourselves 
are like living stones are being built up to a spiritual house. Peter is talking about community. Yes, individual spiritual growth, but collectively church growth. This is something that we all have to do each day. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, the big takeaway here is that what he's getting ready to mention must cease. We do not continue to do this. We do not continue to do the five sins that Peter is getting ready to mention. There should be, at least in, as I read this, there should be a change in life. Think about it. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away, new things have come. There, when you trust in Jesus Christ, and those that are watching by Facebook, when you trust in Christ, it changes everything. Maybe not immediately. Your destiny, where you're going after you die, changes. But then it's a process as you grow in your Christian walk. Now he says here, Put away then all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Pos is the word for all which he uses, which refers to every kind. So if I read it this way, put off, therefore, all kinds of malice, all kinds of deceit, all kinds of hypocrisy, all kinds of envy, and envy can destroy a church from within, and all kinds of slander. So let's look at these. Again, I don't want to live here too long today because I think the, the greater weight of this is on the back side of the sermon, but I think we need to deal with it. We need to look at it and look at it realistically within our own lives and our own hearts. Number one, malice, an attitude of ill will towards others. Kekia. It is difficult to translate, and scholars are kind of, so I take the middle road here. And it basically means an idea of ill will towards others. Can you imagine with me a moment where John has ill will towards Sally, Sally has ill will towards Ben, Ben has ill will, and you have an, an entire church where people just don't like each other. We cannot go there. That needs to stop. We need to look at people the way Christ looks at us. And we're sinners. We all get that. We're all sinful. We all sin. We all stumble. We all make mistakes. But we're so quick to get on others' faults when we have our own faults. So we need to be careful with this. This is something we, we can't come in here on a Sunday morning, Wednesday, whenever we meet, and, and think, I, I don't like that guy. That's not going to work in the kingdom of God. And Peter must have seen this. And of course, persecution does drive madness at times. When you're hurting and when you're going through difficulties, the natural thing is to lash out. But Peter says, got to end this. Got to put it away. The word deceit, dolos. It is an attitude that desires 
to get the better of another by cunning or deception. Pastors like to call this the underground network. Fifteen years ago, I was pastoring a church. And by the way, that's why I'm here now. <laughs> you know the story well. Many of you know it. We, the church across the street, fired their pastor, rightfully so. He was extremely liberal. Uh, he was showing videos in the worship service that he should not have been showing. And those that were in the church said, we can't have this. So they talked with the pastor. They, they tried to reason with him. And he said, no, I'm going to keep doing it. So they fired him. Long story short, I knew a lot of the families over there. So they came to our church. And we had these joint worship services. But what was not known to me was that 70 years ago, there was a division. And the church that I was pastoring at the time contained those who caused the division. I didn't know that until that day, basically. And what happened was, outwardly, people were worshiping, but on the side, so they gave this, they, they gave this impression that they were all for this but ultimately went underground and started making phone calls to the members of the church. Long story short, the division uh, was on full display at that business meeting in which I got up out of the church and I walked out the door and that night you guys got my resume. Well, maybe not that night, but I, yeah. Maybe, maybe not that night. I mean, I did go home and, and revise my resume and all that. It was cunning to get the better of somebody. And in this case, it was to get the better of the other church. Brothers and sisters, I heard stuff in, in that meeting that should never... And, People in the community were asking me, Pastor Mike, is this really going to happen? And I said, well, just keep praying about it. We were running 250. Both churches were overflowing. I mean, there were people in, in the back. It, it was just amazing. And I had some of the older members who could not let go of what happened 60, 50 to 70 years ago. It's really sad. I don't know what my former church is running. The last time they were running 21. When I was there, we had had it from 30 to 120. And then this merger came along and it was, it was, it was bad. I was, I was damaged. At least I felt damaged. But then I came to you all and everything's better, <laughs> right? Number three, hypocrisy to give the oppression of certain motives, but in reality closely akin to, to what went before, but in reality having a quite different uh, motive. It means to act. That's okay. I remember years ago there was a TV show, and I can't remember what it was. It was a comedian, and he said, that's okay, I was merely acting. 
That's hypocrisy. A deacon on a Wednesday night in a Southern Baptist church after I was preaching, I wasn't preaching, I was teaching, and King Solomon said, do not be excessively wicked. The deacon came up to me who outwardly helped the little old ladies in the church, uh, was revered as, as a deacon, it was a family church, and he was part of that family. And so they, they looked at him, he's nice. That same deacon who projected, that's okay, I was merely acting pastor, came up to me and he said, he bumped my shoulder and he said, Pastor, how evil can I be? I don't think saved. I just don't. He gave no evidence of it. Uh, Dr. Cook once told me, told us in class, he said, you're no better a Christian than you are in the dark. So, hypocrisy. Here's a big one. This one, envy. A state of ill will towards someone because of some real, I'm just reading to you from the Greek, or presumed advantage experienced by such a person. It starts like this. How come he got that position and I didn't? I want what they have. How come I didn't get that? And you could see how this becomes problematic in the church. Peter wouldn't write this if it wasn't in some form happening in the church. And these are things, remember, <laughs> these, these are things that were to stop. Not just today and then pick it up again tomorrow and run with it, but to stop it today. So whenever there's, there's a moment when you, you have this idea of I'm going to project one thing, but actually my motives are over here. Stop it. Why can't you speak the truth and the love? Truth and love does not lash out either. Truth and love is very logical. It, it doesn't scream. It doesn't do those things. Truth and love means, okay, this is the truth, but I'm telling you in love. How does that look? How does that play out? And then another one, which is equally dangerous, is slander, that is defamation speech that runs down another person. I don't know. It's talking to someone else about a person with the expressed goal of hurting their character or standing. Let me tell you about Bill. Not that bill that said over there. I love that bill. Just a bill in general. Let me tell you about Bill. Da 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 da. That is defamation of character. We don't do that. That's not something that we want named among us. Slander. And it can be it can be dangerous. What we're about, and I think our church is about, it's about encouraging and building up one another. That's what it's about. It's about lifting up one another, building each other up, caring for each other, loving each other, speaking the truth in love. Those, those types of things. Uh, Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary, writes this. The sins listed tear at the social fabric of the church, ripping away the threads of love that keep them together. Beautiful picture there. Peter signals thereby that no sin is to be tolerated in the community. 
that sin is to be rejected comprehensively. So tomorrow or even this afternoon when you go out, make sure that you're building each other up. You know what I love about Angie? She has a heart for worship. What I like about Tony, although I wish you'd beat the drums a little louder, but is don't I always say that to you? Come on now, let's get it going. What I love about David is he comes even though he's hurting a lot of times. That's how we do it. We, we build each other up. I could say that about each one of you this morning. There's good in all of us. So that's the issue. Peter said, let's not do this. Please, if you're doing it, let's stop. Now let's get on to the, to the good stuff. Crave spiritual growth. And he talks here about spiritual milk. Spiritual milk. Yeah. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So in this setting, we are stopping all of this other stuff. And instead, instead of eating junk food, right? Kind of like junk food. We're going we're gonna to nourish ourselves with spiritual milk. That end, we stop. This end, we start. Now, he says, like newborn infants. This terminology actually is only used here. Newborn infants occurring only here in the New Testament. Newborn. Archigenos. Archigenos. Originally, the word referred to an unborn embryo that was in utero but when Peter used it it referred to a person who was recently born it's a born again language as newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that's born again language Jesus says in Matthew 18 3 Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean there? I was thinking about this this morning. The praise team had posted a song that they're going to be doing. And man, I listened to it. I just got through talking about junk food, but I, I, I listened to it while I was eating Captain Crunch um, this morning. It took me back. It took me back to 1981 when I was first saved. It was quite, quite a, a moving event. And I hope you, I hope you guys do it. Then Angie had a one-on-one -on -one concert with me. Second chapter of Acts was another group that I, I would, I can sing a little bit of it. The place was Calvary, the time long ago. The reason that he came, his love to show. 
On a cross between two thieves, my Savior died. While one man mocked him, the other man cried, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, cried the thief. And that just back there, I'm back there again when I was a new Christian, when everything was exciting before the church ruined it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, I love you guys. You are a great church. No. It just took me back and I remembered, gosh, it's so easy to get churchianity and forget that our first love is Jesus Christ. That's the first love. And you guys know I love you guys and gals. I wouldn't have stayed 14 years if I didn't love you. Long for pure spiritual milk. Long for means to deeply desire something. Not a bad thing, but a good thing. Adolos is the word pure, pertaining to being pure, but with the idea of being unadulterated. So this is something that is holy. Spiritual milk. Divinely given nourishment of the gospel, some have translated. Think about the language here. Think, think about the language. A mother tenderly loving her baby. That baby cries. In some cases, when they have colic, they really cry. I remember those days with my eldest daughter, slinging her around the house to try to get her to sleep. But babies cry and they crave milk. And there's the idea that Peter gives here of a tender, loving relationship between us, the baby, and God, the Father. Let me ask you a question this morning. You don't have to raise your hand or answer it publicly. Do you crave this morning, with your whole being, do you crave to grow, drink from the Word of God? When was the last time you read a chapter in the Bible? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time you, you just took a course online simply because you wanted to know more about God? This is that idea of craving. I want to tell you this morning that God loves you. Christ loves you. D. Edmund Hebert, one of my favorite theologians, writes this. The term is not derogatory at all. It's not. You think, you, well, you're just a baby in Christ. That's, that can be taken another way. But this term in specifics is not derogatory, but rather sets forth the tenderness of their relationship to God and implies simpleness and sincerity. I even got convicted of my own life. I get so entangled with pastoral ministry and I, I was taken back to a place this morning. Maybe I should eat more Cap'n Crunch and I don't know, but I was taken back to a place that was good. It kind of rekindled 
those feelings that I had when I was a newborn infant in Christ. We got to find our first love again. And our first love is Christ. That should be our first love above all things. The purpose for craving the spiritual milk is that by it you may grow up into salvation. Alexano. Alexano. More specifically, growth of plants of, and, of course, babies. Here's the issue. When Peter says that you may grow up into your salvation... Physical babies do not stay babies. I've never seen a 43-year-old physical baby. Right? You grow. How do you grow? Well, you, you get nourishment. Your bones grow. There's a lot of chemical changes that happen in your life. And you begin to grow. You don't stay babies. And Peter is saying you grow up into your salvation. You grow up into your salvation. Which means this. You are saved. There was a definite point in time when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you begin to grow. Step by step. Some of the stuff that I thought when I was a baby Christian. Wow, I couldn't believe I even thought that. But now that I'm older and I have grown into my salvation means that salvation is instantaneously done when we trust in Christ. But then it is a lifelong pursuit. Peter is saying, don't stay, stay spiritual infants. But that you grow in the knowledge, which he'll say this at the end, grow in the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ. Although I will say this, that would be something to see a 43-year-old baby walking. Again, Thomas Schreiner had some good quotes this week. Peter's point is that spiritual growth is necessary for eschatological salvation. Eschatological means end times. You grow in your salvation. And I think a lot of this is tied to the fact that we'll get rewards and some will be burned up because we had malice in our heart. We had all of these sins in our heart when we did it and God's going to burn that up. But is necessary for eschatological evidence. The evidence that one has been begotten by the Father through the word is that the believers continue to long for that word and become increasingly mature. Such a view fits well, incidentally, with the argument in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. You can write that down and go look up at that argument. Mm. Lastly, taste and crave spiritual milk. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We've been looking at these ifs. 
There's a first class conditional, second class conditional, third class conditional, and fourth class conditional. What we're dealing with here is a third class conditional statement. I know that doesn't mean a lot to you, but it does change the meaning of the text greatly. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, it carries the idea of now that you have tasted the Lord is good, and here's the ultimate definition of that word, if. It assumes a high probability. Listen to this. It assumes a high probability that the believer is saved. But it leaves a little room for the fact that this person may not be saved. If you use the first class conditional, then the statement is absolutely false on all grounds. But Peter is saying, if you've really tasted that the Lord is good, good chance that there is, maybe a little wiggle room over here where you haven't really tasted that the Lord is good. I thought about that this, this, this week. Is it good to look at yourself? Is it good to evaluate your salvation? Have you ever done that? Have you ever did a double take? 2 Corinthians 13.5 Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Lord, am I truly saved? Has I, have I given my life to you? And if I have, Lord, help me grow out of infancy onto maturity. Ultimately, and I'll be honest with you, ultimately, okay, ultimately I don't know the salvation of anyone. I know my salvation. But ultimately, I don't know the salvation. I can, I, can, I can say there's an extreme high probability that everybody here is saved. But ultimately, I'm not the judge. And thank goodness, I'm not the judge. But I think it's okay to test yourself. Lord, am I really saved? I did that years ago. Actually, I was under conviction because I had gotten saved and was going back out partying again, sitting there, but I really wasn't happy because something inside was not quite right. And all the stuff that I thought was cool and happening, I don't know, they don't, they don't use those words nowadays, but I was sitting there and I go, this is not right. Because I had had a conversion in my heart. And I didn't view the social life and all of that the same way after that event. To the point, and I don't know who did this, but I woke up and next to my, my bed, somebody, I guess I was so sleepy, I didn't hear them. They had a track there, and on the track it said, remember me. That was it. No more nightclubs from that point on. I was saved. I was a baby. I had not yet been discipled. And then I went to First Baptist Church uh, in Temple, Texas, where I met 
Wow. And thus began my life with a godly woman. She's not perfect. But I remember she told me one time later that early in our marriage she laid at the foot of my bed, grabbed my feet, and prayed that God would make me a man after his own heart. Yeah. Tough thing. Now the word that I really like, giomai. I love this word, the word taste. Boy, I've done everything in this sermon. I've laughed, I've cried, I've sang. <laughs> I'm going to need a week off after all this. Get really tired. Ginomai means to experience, taste, experience. Ah. Uh, the ribeye steak. I know there's some people that don't like meat. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not trying to infringe on your vegetarian lifestyle. But. I don't know what other lifestyles there are. There's a vegetarian, there's vegan. I'm not, I'm not infringing on that at all, please. I don't want to cause offense. But when you taste the steak, and I cut into that and I eat it, I go, wow, that's really good. And I want more, right? That's probably, I don't know, the picture may be deceiving. That's probably an eight-ounce steak. I, that's pretty good. I can really nail this stuff down. That's a four-ounce. That's a six-ounce. Give me the eight-ounce. I want that one. Then there's a baked potato and some green beans. If I'm judging, that's probably 520 calories. Because I'm still into the calorie stuff. I can't shake it. It's in my mind. I don't have a coach to call anymore. But when you taste that, it's like, mmm, I want more. By the way, a good steak does not need A1 steak sauce. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You eat that, and you just want more of it. Eventually, the steak runs out. And you can't order more because you've got this little thing, this calorie counter. What do we taste? That the Lord is good. Grace to. Grace to. That God is gracious and kind. Do you know, brothers and sisters, this morning, you and I have been so blessed. God has been so gracious to us to even save us. And to redeem us. Think about your own life this morning. Think about his blessing that has poured down on you and how good God has been and he cares for everything in your life. And he sees your struggles. He knows your hardships. And yet God 
is watching over those and has them in the palms of his hand. 